HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Streaming to the universe live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Hello, welcome to the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. It's Thursday, 1 o'clock. We are brought to you today by Heritage Foods USA, um, and we are inviting you to join us on behalf of Heritage Foods USA this Saturday evening at 7 p.m. to midnight here at Roberta's to celebrate all of Heritage Foods USA's partners in a changing the food system in the United States to be a better place. Um, that being said, I'm here with uh, my lovely co-host Erin Fairbanks today. Hey Heather, how's it going? Everything is going. And we are joined, we have a phone-in guest today, Catherine Malonzi. Uh, Catherine is the manager of sustainable food and agriculture program at Williams College. Catherine, are you with us? I am. Hello, Heather and Erin. Hi, Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Catherine, where are you calling us from? I am calling you from, I am actually in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, uh, right now in South Berkshire County. I sit on the board of the Nutrition Center here in town, which does a lot of community food access work uh, in southern Berkshire County. So I'm here at the moment, but normally I'm up in Williamstown in northern Berkshire County, where Williams College is located. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day. Like many of our guests, um, Catherine wears many hats. Um, Catherine, we were hoping you could start off the show today by telling us a little bit about your position and what you do at Williams. Sure. I, um, well, as you said, I'm the manager of the Sustainable Food and Agriculture Program at Williams College. Uh, the program is housed in the Zilka Center for Environmental Initiatives. So I work with two other women at the center. I work on the food sustainability side of things, and they are working on other carbon emissions and energy use at the school, so other environmental sustainability areas. I, the Sustainable Food and Agriculture Program is, we're in our, just our first year there, and the program is funded by an an alumni family foundation who uh, urged the college to start such a program, uh, and we're seeing programs, uh, sustainable food programs and projects pop up at 
many higher educational institutions uh, across the country and world. <laughs> so I work with, uh, I, I wear many hats even within the one job. I work with students I, uh, on the educational and extracurricular side of things. And then I'm working with the dining services on the operational side of, of the of, of everything, <laughs> uh, get, helping them to connect in with the local food economy and, and source healthier, sustainable foods from local food producers and farmers. Well, <laughs> so what is so what, what qualifies you for this position? Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I have, uh, well, <laughs> I most recently, I think one of the, one of the, things that really helps a position within an academic setting is being able to communicate and work with many different types of people. Uh, there's lots of sort of sub-organizational structures within um, academia, ranging from the faculty uh, to people who work in dining services and facilities to the students. Everyone has a different perspective on how the college actually runs. So. I think my diverse background really comes in handy. I have most recently I uh, was in Italy on a Fulbright Fellowship. Ooh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, I was actually there 2007 to 2009, so nice. a little bit of time has gone on. And I was there uh, studying traditional Italian food production and working and researching with Slow Food International. Mm -hmm. I also simultaneously uh, did the master's program in food culture and communications at the University of Gastronomic Sciences, which was mm -hmm. founded by Slow Food International. So that was a a broad training in uh, eco-gastronomy and uh, lots of food anthropology and politics, uh, but also the sensory analysis of food and taste education. So uh, all, of those, all of those tools have come in handy at, the, in, at Williams, in my position at Williams. What would you say um, is like the one of the most important things you've taken, you know, from Bra uh, from Italy to to um, the United States to this Williams um, College? Well, uh, that's a good question, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently. I I would say that the most fundamental lesson that I've walked away from my time in Italy with that is applicable is the importance of food culture uh, and that fostering, you know, building a sustainable food culture uh, at Williams uh, really relies upon um, not only the operational reform, but changing the way people's relation, the, the whole community relates to food. It's Italy and France and older uh, cultures have a lineage uh, that they really carry, has carried through and automatically informs environmental parameters of a food system. So in the U.S., we really, you know, we think of food and we think, oh, anything, anytime, anywhere mm -hmm. is available. We have very little... 
we have very few parameters or very few boundaries on how we eat, where we eat it, when we eat it, and why. So I think we would really benefit as a society as, on the whole of recognizing that some limitations <laughs> can actually um, be a very positive thing when it comes to uh, food sustainability for future generations. That's great. So it sounds like at Williams that your position was really driven out of um, some alumni support and funding and um, really looking to to make a, an impact both on the educational and cultural side. But this is a farm report. We want to get down to the nitty gritty. We want to talk a little bit more about operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really seems like there's so many things that we could get into. So um, let's say I was, uh, you know, head of a parent-teacher association and I uh, really wanted to make a change in the, in the um, foods in the school that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about here. Where would you um, guide me to start? What should I tackle first? What did you do? Well, uh, the first thing that I did in my approach to dining services was to hold a, a retreat with all of the managerial staff of the dining services um, and to establish the criteria and definitions of what you would uh, include as sustainable food. Um, This sounds very sort of basic, but what I discovered was that the definitions of sustainable food and therefore the the, uh, percentage of sustainable food um, being bounced around was too broad for my comfort. I wanted more stringent sustainability um, criteria. So um, the first thing we did was uh, really... Uh, have uh, established working criteria that everyone was on the same page because uh, from this platform then we could assess and track our purchases and our ordering system could be adjusted to facilitate increased purchases from the local food economy. It's amazing the the infrastructure, uh, infrastructural nitty-gritties that you have to get into, computer systems, ordering systems, having the distributors uh, that are current. Yeah, the deliveries, uh, the distributors who the the institution is currently working with, they have to be on board because they're going to be the ones providing you with the information about the food that they're... So they're finding themselves in a new role because no one's ever asked them uh, about the food, so they have to ask new questions as well. Um, Yeah, the challenges associated with changing practices on an industry level are certainly vast, but they're not insurmountable. It just takes uh, lots of face-to-face meetings with the people who really make the decisions um, and click the button to to order the food. On the other side of things, I've been uh, running around meeting with all the farmers in our local area and many regional farmers to say, okay, if if I'm priming the school to purchase from you, we need to prime ourselves to be able to supply them at the scale that they're going to need. So it takes a lots of organization of the local farmers and certainly enthusiasm on their part to want to supply and to, and to tinker with their infrastructural um, and logistic systems as well to be able to provide the food that we're looking for. 
Wow, you brought up so many things I have questions about. Um, so our listeners have a, an idea of what Williams means by sustainable. Can you share a few of the criteria that you established at your retreat? Oh, sure. I, um, I being a, you know, t- slow food trained lady, <laughs> I, I, I really do uh, appreciate slow food's criteria of good, clean, and fair food. I think those three categories um, touch upon many of the uh, pieces that we should be assessing. So what Williams, uh, to be included, food purchases at Williams must meet one or more of the following criteria. One, that they're grown with ecological uh, production methods. So that would include integrated pest management, organic certification. There are many others certified naturally grown, but something that, uh, that the earth is being worked, uh, worked with in a harmonious way. Um, and certification we, we do require of some sort. Uh, second, that they are grown and processed within uh, a geographical locale. Of, we, we have defined, and this was of, of great consideration, but we've defined local as within 250 miles of the college. Mm-hmm. That's so that we can include some seafood and we can get into western New York where a lot of grains are grown. And the third criteria is that the company um, that we're purchasing from upholds some sort of social responsibility to its employees. So they have a profit-sharing scheme. Fair trade would be counted under this third category as well. So currently, William spends um, around 10% of its total food bu- budget on uh, uh, food that would count for one or more of these criteria. That sounds low, but actually the, the very high leaders uh, of uh, our peer institutions are at around 20 to 25%. So everyone's getting there slowly. Well, what about the actual cost for not just the food itself, but what about the time it takes to you know, deal with them? Um, it sounds like probably a lot more vendors than if you were to work with you know, a, a long institutional um, you know, dining company, which it, you know, sounds like you, you've uh, moved away from. Yeah, I think that's something that comes up with institutional purchasing changes a lot is that cost is this real inhibiting factor, both the cost of the food, but also the, the, the operational cost. So is the funding for this kind of, you know, goal of 10%, is that coming through the funding for your position, or is that something that the university is committed to? Where Where right. is that coming from? Well, sorry, let me clarify. The 10% is what's being currently spent. Our goal is, uh, well, I'd like to see 25% uh, be the goal within the next couple of years. Um, the In terms of increased uh, budget, I think, uh, and especially I would er, encourage people who are working um, in institutional food reform to really get all the data and see where the money is actually being spent right now, because I have found that there's a lot of 
money that could be reallocated mm-hmm. to cover the additional costs of sourcing locally and sustainably. Um, it's uh, there's a lot of sort of budging around that can be done, uh, which saves uh, uh, which saves extra cost um, staying within your same budget. So if you look, a lot of money is spent um, on an, in these institutions on hiring, outsourcing caterers for special events, um, things like that. If you start to do some of those things in-house uh, or if you hire local companies to provide their catering services, this is just an example. Mm-hmm. You can save money, and then you've already, and then you can uh, the saved money can be reallocated um, in different ways. So I would start there before I start by approaching the administration, saying it's going to cost mm-hmm. us thirty to fifty percent more. Start really get all the numbers, you know, all the spreadsheets, and mm-hmm. and really look um, where the money is going and see how you can work within that first. In terms of, uh, no, the, the grant uh, and my program does not directly supplement dining services budget. That's uh, something that the, you know, those budgets are at the higher operational level. But I uh, am encouraging dining to take operational leadership and, and see where they might be able to do some of this work um, themselves. I also think there's uh, they have an opportunity not only to buy from existing uh, food producers in the area, but actually drive the local food yeah. economy. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in looking at innovative models of uh, contract mm-hmm. um, contract yes. farming and uh, other things where everyone's going to have a, an agreed upon price. Yeah. From the outset. You're touching on something we want to get more into. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we want to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, sure. and we want to talk about these uh, models and uh, templates for success in changing a uh, school food system. So we'll be right back with the Heritage okay. Network's Farm Report. Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report, talking to um, Catherine Milzoni, and uh, <laughs> she is the manager of Sustainable Food and Agriculture Program um, at Williams College in Massachusetts. And uh, just having someone with that title is, is pretty exciting for us here on the Farm Report. Yeah, just before the break, Catherine, you were starting to talk about some uh, purchasing models that, that you guys have had success with at Williams. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? 
Sure. Well, we are just exploring the possible models as we're in our first year of the Sustainable Food and Agriculture Program. And some of the ideas that we've been playing with are um, contract contract purchasing. So uh, we have actually a, a gift in knowing uh, as an institution how much of certain types of food we are definitely going to need to buy for one academic year because the student population at Williams stays the same every year. It's about 2,000 students. So that gives us a great platform for knowing how much we're going to spend anyway. Mm -hmm. And one of the models we've been looking at is saying, well, if we know we're going to spend X number, X thousand uh, pounds of onions a year, why don't we contract a local farmer with excess land, lots of the farmland uh, in our geographical area in northern Ma- northwestern Massachusetts is unused but very viable and very fertile. So why don't we contract a farmer to provide all of those onions for us at a cost that's good for them and a cost that's good for us? And that involves sitting down with the farmers at the time of seed ordering, you know, in the winter months. And, and it involves a long-term planning uh, strategy that really is n- not currently the institutional norm. So uh, that's one thing. Oh, another really exciting model that we've been looking for, uh, I'm really um, adamant about trying to get the beef that we use to increase the percentage of grass-fed beef that we buy. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at actually exploring the possibility of, well, what if we bought our, what if we bought a whole steer? So Mm -hmm. buying whole steer at hanging weight and contracting with someone to actually own our own, um, own all of our cattle and then send them to uh, send them off to be processed as needed. I mean, this is that's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking like long term. You know, being yeah. able to really see see something happening there. I mean, that's exciting, and it uh, sounds like the farmers, you know, should should be happy with this. I mean, have they been receptive? The farmers that you've been talking to. I mean, sounds like you know they would have some stability with with what you're planning to do. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's. I think everyone is finding themselves in these new conversations, and it's uh, it's new territory for us all. So we're it's a learning process, uh, first of all, and definitely uh, the local um, food producers and farmers have been receptive to the idea. There's, of course, naturally kinks and logistics to work out, but certainly everyone is realizing and recognizing that for long term for our long term food and water security we're going to need to look at these long term working relationships these these business partnerships between um, institutional purchasing power and uh, the people who lovingly and hardworkingly grow our food <laughs> So uh, it's new territory, but it, it is very exciting. And, and uh, in Berkshire County, we're, uh, as a whole, is really well poised right now to uh, really be a national uh, model for, for sustainable agriculture, I feel. That's exciting. You mentioned earlier that there are some other kind of institutions out there doing this work. Um, 
you know, who are you looking to for leadership or who should our listeners be checking out? Or for, you know, our high school listeners, what schools should they go if they're if they're really passionate about eating good food in the cafeteria and having access to a lot of the programs that you're developing at Williams? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there are many, uh, m- many in the Northeast. There is a... Uh, there are many report card type of uh, uh, rating systems that you can look up online. Um, ACHI, the, oh, I'm not going to get this right, but the Advancement for Sustainability, uh, Association for Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education uh, is one of them. Uh, they do ratings reports, the National um, Sustainability Endowments Institute. These type of things look at lots of different criteria, including dining, um, to rank a school in sustainability. For me personally, the models, uh, certainly the Yale Sustainable Food Project um, uh, has been a a wonderful inspiration and provided uh, much inspiration, much needed inspiration and uh, different models to to start off with. It, you know, each institution is really going to have its own sets of challenges. So I think it's while it's really beneficial to glean ideas for programming, especially student programming, especially mm-hmm. with the operational side of things, you kind of have to roll up your sleeves and see how your particular institution it works. Um, Middlebury College has uh, done excellent work in in this field. Bard College, Amherst, Smith. Uh, there, there are too many to name. Uh, but once you, I think everyone is kind of at that at that edge of of just saying, "Wow, our food system as currently operating is not going to feed." future generations so we better we better uh shape up <laughs> shape uh, up or ship out right yeah so <laughs> that's, what it, that's what it seems like yeah <laughs> and taking a, a little bit of a, a look at the the williams website we we ran across some some stuff that it sounds like have has already happened at the college um in particular, we, you know, we were talking a lot about dairy and the dairy industry last week, and we're definitely looking to explore that issue a little bit more on the show. Um, can you tell us uh, about the, the replacement of your conventional milk with milk from grass-fed, hormone-free cows? Uh, I think there was a specific farm mentioned, the Highland High Farm in, in Lee, Massachusetts. Yes, that's right. Um, we All of our liquid milk uh, now comes from... Highland Farm. So it was a pretty much a total replacement. Uh, and this happened, this is an initiative that um, was actually spearheaded by dining services a, a few years back um, before my time at Williams. But it's been really successful and, as I understand, played a, a major contributory role in the uh, the viability and survival of of Highland Farm, which is a 200 or 200 plus year old uh, dairy in the heart of Berkshire County, family run, and as, and uh, that is a really a shining example of, of what I think could be done with so many other food products. There's especially uh, we are in such close proximity to Vermont. That uh, with wonderful, of course, Vermont's wonderful mm-hmm. cheesemakers, I think that we could also uh, see that kind of model applied to 
to other dairy products that the school is using. Well, definitely a good goal. Um, how how's the response been from the students? Oh, the students are the students are probably the least uh, challenging uh, group to work with uh, wow. because they're so enthusiastic. I mean, I think we're seeing. I'm seeing a huge influx of uh, both incoming students knocking at my door saying, how can I get involved? Food is something that's really important to me. Uh, how can I have, be, have that part of, be part of my college experience? And then on the other side, there's uh, outgoing seniors who come for basically career counseling in food and agriculture. Uh, where do I start? What do I do? Um, there's this whole big wide world. And usually, I mean, of course, it depends upon the student. Usually I, I do give the advice to go and spend time working on a farm to really know what that is like on a daily level to work outside, to produce food with your hands, to, to, work, with, to work really hard for at least a year or two. Um, I think... A, it weeds out a lot of people, <laughs> and then. But I also think from that from that experience, you can get as macro or micro in this world, in this food world, as you want to. Even if you end up working in food policy at the UN and you uh, have very little daily contact with soil, at least you have uh, experienced soil in your hands. And, and for me, I think that. The, that sensory understanding um, and the understand and the platform of very hard work is invaluable. I just wanted to mention quickly, if I may, another group here um, for high school students that's very inspirational at Monument Mountain High School in Great Barrington. There is a, a project called Project Sprout. And they have done tremendous things at, um, at their high school. They have a website. I'm not sure, but if you look up Project Sprout uh, in Great Barrington, a lot will come up. Sam Levin, he mm -hmm. uh, was a student who started it, and uh, they have a beautiful, a beautiful uh, greenhouse, beautiful garden, and and Sam actually spoke in front of thousands of people at the Slow Food Terra Madre uh, conference two years ago. Awesome. That, thanks so much, uh, Catherine. It was really great to get to talk to you today. Um, we want to take a quick minute to let our listeners know about some stuff happening in the city this weekend. Um, speaking of student-sponsored initiatives, uh, the NYU Wagner uh, Food Policy Group is putting on a fundraiser tonight at Jimmy's number 43. That's at East 40, 43 East 7th for Farm Camp at Flying Pigs Farm, a program that we've talked about on the show in the past that brings New York City food professionals up to not actually far from you, Catherine, um, to explore agriculture um, infrastructure and to kind of take a look at what are the different factors that you need to build a sustainable and strong regional food system. So that's tonight. It's uh, 8 to 11 at Jimmy's. And then 
And then tomorrow um, at 7 o'clock in Brooklyn here, um, right off Atlantic Avenue, um, farmcity.us, if you want to check out their website. Um, they're having a fundraiser. Um, if you remember Derek Denklet that we spoke with um, a couple of weeks back, um, uh, Novella Carpenter will be there. There'll be Brooklyn Brewery tastings. Um, should be a really, really nice uh, a nice night and definitely for a good cause. And um, then to, to finish out the weekend, Saturday night here at Roberta's, go to heritageradionetwork.com to see the details for Heritage Foods USA um, celebration here at the radio studio. Big party, big and fun. And <laughs> make sure to tune in next week. We have June Russell from Grow NYC. She's the green market farm inspector, kind of taking us through inspecting the farms that you find at the New York City green markets. Nice. Keeping it all in the traceability. Thank you, Catherine. Take Thank care. you, Heather, Aaron. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>